Check this out from today's edition of Real with Daniel Fusco. Jesus in that model prayer taught us to pray, Lord, your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So out of all the four gospels, Luke has this thrust of Jesus being human. God has, was the past, he is, and he is to come. I like to say that whenever I read about God being the who was and is and is to come, I'm constantly reminded that I can trust God with my past because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. We're in this section in Revelation 4 and 5 where the view moves to, to heaven. And one of the things that you're going to find as we continue through this section is that the theme of heaven is the worship of God. That's what happens in heaven. God is praised because it says that in heaven we're going to know as we are known. And I think the goal for all of us is when we look at these views of heaven and we see the worship that is happening there, for those of us and I believe it should be all of us who believe in Jesus. Our goal should be to make what is happening in heaven our lives here on earth. Jesus in that model prayer taught us to pray, Lord, your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So when we see the scene of heaven where there is vibrant worship of God, our response should be, Lord, I want to be a vibrant worshiper of you on this side of each. I don't have to wait for heaven. And so I want to drop us back into this heavenly scene in the book of Revelation. And we'll see, because in Revelation chapters 4 and 5, there's literally five short worship songs that get sung. And we're going to see two of them today. So open your Bibles to the book of Revelation chapter 4. We're going to take verses 7 to 11. If you recall, and I just want to dive into the, the structure of Revelation. Because in Revelation 1, you have this vision of Jesus. And then in 2 and 3, you have the seven letters to the seven churches. And then in Revelation 4 and 5, there's this scene of heaven, right? And I made the point that in Revelation 1.19, it says, write the things that you've seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. And a lot of people see that as the, the framework for the book of Revelation. The things which you have seen is Revelation 1. The things which are Revelation 2 and 3. And then if you remember in the re beginning of Revelation 4, he's like, I'm going to show you what's going to happen after this, right? And what's interesting is that then we see immediately that John is in the spirit and he goes up to heaven. Now, many, many scholars, and this is hotly disputed, but I'll tell you anyway, many people see that Revelation 4 is, is a picture of the rapture of the church, the church being removed because you have the church age and then you have John being called up in the spirit into heaven and what's interesting is there's this worship that goes on in heaven, but you actually never hear about the church again until the very end of the book of Revelation, where almost everything in the middle is about the nation of Israel. And so many scholars would say this would be evidence within the book of Revelation of this idea of the rapture of the church, where God is going to take the church out of the world before that last time's tribulation period. Now, how many of you did I, lo did I lose you? You're like, what are you talking about, Fusco? If you did, that's okay. I lost myself. Don't worry about it. Yeah. So if I just lost you, don't worry about it. For some of you, you're like, oh yeah, I've been waiting for Fusco to mention the rapture. Now, here's what people always say to me. They say, Pastor Daniel, is there a rapture? And if there is a rapture, when's it going to be? Right? And here's what I always tell them. I don't know. I like to tell people that, I, that, that in regards to the rapture, I, I believe that it's, you know, uh, 
People say, is it the pre-trib rapture? Is it the post-trib rapture? I say, it's the, pan, it's the pan-trib rapture. Like, it's all going to pan out. So I stopped us in our journey in the middle of really verse 6, because listen to what it says in the middle of verse 6. It says, and in the midst of the throne, this is chapter 4, and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like a calf. The third living creature had the face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And then it says, and the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. Now, I'm going to stop right there. Now, I wanted to give you guys like a great like concept for this, but I just came up with the four living creatures. I tried. Like, I wanted to give you, like, I wanted to give you a great principle to take from this. But really what this is, is this is John's description of these four living creatures, these angels in heaven, right? Now, we're going to see in a moment those angels are going to start worshiping, and we're going to see the content of their worship. But I didn't want us just to kind of blow over the fact that there's not only going to be God and humans in heaven. And what I also want to tell you is that we live in a world where there's not only humans and the things we can see, there is an, an angelic realm. There is a spiritual realm that is outside of the realm in which we live, but presses into our realm. And when John gets to heaven, first he's captivated by the throne and all the lights, and we talked about this in the last message, but now his eyes go to these four angels that when you read the description, you're like, well, all right. It's like, you know, like, look at what it says here. It says, so there's these, around the throne, there are these four living, and they're full of eyes on front and in back. That would be kind of weird, right? Like, so, like, imagine, like, this, like, like, so I almost did this, like, put a picture of me and then put a picture of me with all eyes on everywhere in my body. And then I'm like, that would just freak everybody out forever. So I didn't do it, but it's like, there, there are eyes everywhere on, on, these, on these four living creatures. There's, each one has a different look to them, and we'll talk about that in a second. And then they also each have six wings, and the wings have eyes all over them as well. So what's interesting here is that, remember I told you that the book of Revelation in some 700 verses have like over, or, you know, 400 verses have over 1,000 references to the Old Testament. You have to just write in your Bible in your margin, put in Ezekiel chapter 1 and Isaiah chapter 6. Because both of those passages have, Ezekiel sees a vision of these different, it's called seraphim in, in the book of uh, Ezekiel. In the book of Isaiah, they're called cherubim. And what's interesting is these, angel, these angelic beings that are there are, are very similar. It's, an, it's some type of angelic being. Now, what's interesting about this is, of course, the, eye of the, the, eye, the idea of them being full of eyes, it, it really, people would say that it, it speaks to the fact that they're just not blind, you know, kind of instruments who act as automatons, but there's, there's some sort of understanding that these, that these cherubim have, these angels have. But really what's fascinating is, is that we have to remember that there is an angelic realm, there is a spiritual realm. Right? And so the idea here is that there is more going on here, and there is an angelic realm. And we, as believers, we may never have seen it, but our Bible testifies of it, so we believe it. And there are these angels. Now, what's interesting, it says here about these four living creatures, right? It says in verse 7, the first living creature was like a lion, 
The second living creature, like a calf. The third living creature had the face of a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. Now, notice the word was like. Okay, so it doesn't mean that these angels were a lion, a man, a calf, and an eagle. They were like them. Does that make sense? So, so it speaks of symbolic language. But many scholars would tell you that what's fascinating about this, these four images is that it actually gives us kind of the four faces of Jesus in the four Gospels. If you read the four Gospels, the Gospel of Matthew presents Jesus as the lion of the tribe of Judah. It was written to a Jewish audience. There's no Gospel account that has more Old Testament references by name than Matthew's Gospel. It speaks of Jesus being the, 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 the promised Messiah of the tribe of Judah, right? Like a calf. You remember a calf is a small bovine animal, a, a beast of burden, right? And so the idea, of course, is Jesus shows himself as the servant in Mark's gospel. More than the line of the tribe of Judah, we constantly see Jesus doing things. I always like to tell people Mark's gospel is a great gospel. It, to, to, they're all great, but it's kind of almost like the, uh, the sports center of the gospels, there's not a lot of long discourses like this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, then Jesus did this, then he did this. And over and over again, you see Jesus serving humanity as a primary function. So really like the calf, it really speaks to the fact of, of Mark's gospel, Jesus as the servant. Then, of course, the next one, you get the idea of uh, like a man, right? And in Luke's gospel, Jesus is commonly calling himself the son of man. So out of all the four gospels, Luke has this thrust of Jesus being human, right? And then, of course, like a flying eagle, John's gospel is the gospel that speaks the most of Jesus in his deity. So some people would say that in, even in these four living creatures, you see kind of four aspects of the, who Jesus is portrayed to be in the gospels. Now, I say that as like a, it's kind of an interesting thought, but let's not pretend that for one second Jesus isn't the lion of the tribe of Judah in Mark, Luke, John. Let's not pretend that Jesus isn't seen as God in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Let's not pretend that we don't see Jesus as a servant in Matthew, Luke, and John. Do you see what I'm saying? But really what's amazing is, is that God gave us four gospels because he wants to give us the, the, the whole story of who Jesus is. And these angels seem to embody some of those very characteristics. Let's move to the way that they worship, because look what it says next. It says, and they do not rest day or night saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now, what's beautiful is, is what we learn here is that you and I, we need to praise God for his holiness. And, and, and we sang right before I started teaching, holy, holy, God Almighty, Keep reigning in my heart. And, and, and it's such a beautiful thing because we were actually living into this because these four living creatures, they were there. It says they didn't rest day or night. So there was, there was no sleeping. There was no laziness in, this, in these angelic beings. They are there to praise God. They exist to praise God. And what I think is so powerful is that when they start to praise God, they say the, name, they say the word holy three times. Now, I think this is very important because if you know the Bible at all, you realize that in the Hebrew language, that when, you, when they want to emphasize or amplify an idea, it gets said twice, right? Like there's a beautiful verse in the prophet Isaiah, which says, he will keep you in perfect peace when, it, when your mind is stayed on him. 
But if you look in the Hebrew, it actually says, he will keep you in shalom, shalom. It's peace twice. That's the word for peace. And that what it's meant to say, it's not just regular peace. It's an amplified version of peace. And that's why the translation that I use says it's perfect peace. Many people always laugh. They say, Pastor Danny, when you pray, you always say amen and amen. And it's not because I stutter. I do that because I want to amplify, like, let it be so, Lord. Right? And what's powerful here is they don't just say holy twice. They say it what? Three times. Which now takes it from an amplified version to a superlative version. If you want a cool word, you want to impress your, your theological friends, scholars call this the thrice hagion. Because the word hagios in Greek is the word holy, and thrice is Shakespearean for trace, three, yes. So, but what's really powerful here is God is the holy one, the most holy. And we should live our lives praising God for his holiness. Now, I think that this is so important for us for a number of reasons, primarily because I believe that the biggest struggle that Christianity as a whole has today is that within the body of Christ, people want to worship God and believe in God, but many people do not want to believe in a holy God because a holy God changes everything. But the thing is, is when you worship a holy God, you start to change. And our culture today says, I want to worship God, but I don't want to change. And the reason that is, is because people don't want to worship a holy God, a God who is distinct. And one of the greatest challenges I believe that the church has today is everybody wants to be spiritual, but nobody really wants to change. We want to feel better about ourselves. But God isn't interested in necessarily making us feel better about ourselves or our circumstances. God is interested, we were dead, he wants to make us alive. We are unholy, he wants to make us holy. And I'm here to tell you, you cannot be holy if you always do the same things you always did and say it's doing, being done in Jesus' name. And what's amazing is, is now we live in a day and age, especially in the culture in which we live in, where people think that there's a problem with Christianity because, pray tell, Christianity invites you to be different from the way our culture wants you to be. And people don't want to be told that's not how God created us. That's not God's will for our lives. But what's amazing is, is the gift of God's holiness in our lives is a transformation. It causes us to say, because we worship a holy God, and not just a, a little holy God, but, but the thrice holy God, because we worship a holy God, he's constantly saying, listen, you used to do that, but now, because I'm making you like me, you can't do that anymore. And I believe that one of the things we should start to pray is, Lord, let me know you as holy, holy, holy. The most holy God. Because when we see God as the holy one, we begin to say, God, I am not wholly left up to my own devices. And I need to see the world through the lens of your holiness, not the culture in which I live. Now, don't get me wrong. I love living today. But the problem of our day and age is we live in a culture that has no sense of holiness. And not only no sense of holiness, no desire for it, no appetite for it. Because our appetites have been hijacked by whatever it is that you want. 
But when you believe in a holy God, you start to say holiness matters more than a lot of other things, than anything. So it's not just like, because I, I know we start talking about culture, it's very easy to say it's the younger people who are the problem. Like, oh, no, 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 no. We are all the problem. Like, we're all living here. But the recovery of the holiness of God. Listen, brothers and sisters, if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, our God is a holy God who was and who is and who is to come. Of course, speaking of the eternality of God. God has, was the past, he is and he is to come. I like to say that whenever I read about God being the who was and is and is to come, I'm constantly reminded that I can trust God with my past because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. He's the God who was. He's the, he's the God of my past and your past. I can trust God with what I'm dealing with today because my God is. I can hope and trust and believe in him for what is happening right now, even if I don't like what's happening. And there's no need to worry about the future because my God is the one who is to come. That when I get to what I know to be my future, my father who is holy is already there. Your future is secure because Jesus is real. And I pray if you're struggling with your past, let Jesus be the God of your past. His grace on the cross. If you're worried about what's going to happen today, listen, he's the God who's present with you right where you are. And if you're freaked out about your future, your father's going to be there and he's holy. He's the God who is to come. Now, this is good. I mean, like, and don't miss, look, look, this worship song that we have here by, the, by the, 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 the living creature worship song is legitimately like 10 words. And it's a rocking song. You know what I mean? It's like, it's holy, 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 Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Now look at what happens next. Because it says, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and they were created. So I now say this, not only we praise God for his holiness, but we praise God for his work, for what God has done. God can be praised for the work that he's done. Now, what's powerful about this is it's the, it's the worship of the four living creatures that now provokes these 24 elders to begin to worship as well. And then they start worshiping with their own song. See, this is why I said earlier that we want to be people who are vibrant in our worship because I'm here to tell you that when you are on fire for Jesus, other people are going to catch that fire. It was uh, Charles Spurgeon, the great English prince of preachers, they called him. He said, people come to watch me burn. And my hope is to start a little forest fire. Now, I know using forest fire language is not the best thing in summertime in the Northwest, but you understand what I'm saying. <laughs> Spiritually speaking, when you are worshiping Jesus and on fire, other people are going to notice that. And the one thing that we need is for too many of us, given all that's going on in the world, we have our lamps and they're not on a lampstand, but we're hiding them in a basket. But your worship life with Jesus is your own personal response to who he was. I can't make you do it. Your spouse can't make you do it. It's something that your soul does in the presence of God. 
So the, the worship of the, 20, of, of the four living creatures now gives rise to the worship of these 24 elders. We notice that when they begin to worship, it says they fall down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever and they cast their crowns before the throne. Now this is powerful. In Roman culture, the Roman emperor would be the sovereign over a lot of smaller rulers. And it was very common that when the, when, the, when, the, when the Roman emperor showed up that literally these smaller kings would literally, as an act of submission, would go and they would cast their crowns before this, this, this ruler. And then literally he would, once he goes by, they would pick him back up and put him on again. And when now we see these 24 elders, remember they were clothed in white and all these different things about that, these, these victor's crown. They remember, they never take that victor's crown and say, this is mine. They're like, no, no, I get this because of him who sits on the throne. And that posture of worship of falling down. But then they begin to worship, they're like, Lord, you are worthy. I love that. But I always, when I pray, I always say, God, you are infinitely worthy of all my praise. The idea, is, the idea of being worthy means being deserving. As you are worthy, O oh Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. He's saying, God, you are worthy to be praised. That's what glory is, to, to be honored. You are worthy for us to cast our, because Lord, you are the most powerful one. Why? Because you created all things and by your will, they exist and were created. See, these 24 elders realize that what the work of God just in creation alone makes God infinitely worthy of our praise. This reminds me of Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. So in heaven... God is being declared worthy of praise because he's holy. He's one who was and is and is to come. And because God created everything and by his will, everything exists and everything exists for God. When was the last time you praised God for his creation? But God grows us up in our faith, brothers and sisters, so that we would be a vehicle like those for living creatures to initiate worship in other people's lives by loving them right where they are. By meeting them. Getting down on their level. Helping them clean up. Giving them some food. Not yelling at them across the street because they voted for someone different. But seeing them for who they are beneath all the levels of stuff they've decided that they are. When it says that God created everything and everyone, we need to return in our hearts to the reality that every living soul, no matter what their struggle issue is, they're there because God wants them to be there. Not in that place, but they're alive because of that. And there is not one of us who hasn't been in a similar place. Maybe not the exact same place. And we just start to praise God that he has redeemed us. And say, Lord, just as Jesus left heaven's glory and came and incarnated so that we can be saved, that he could touch us, 
He found me in a drug hole. He found you in another hole. Just as Jesus did that, he's inviting us to do the same thing for other people.